Hi, this is Billy Bob Thornton of the Boxmasters, and you're listening to the Kudzu Radio Hour with my buddy, Michael Buffalo Smith, keeping it real and keeping it Southern. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour with Buff and Billy. Homebound Special Edition, continuing as we uh, continue to weather the storm of the virus. Hope you'll stick around with us for the next hour. We've got some special guests coming in, and we're going to have some discussions, lively discussions. All this brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh organic chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. That's SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, it also just tastes really good. Oh, so good. Well, we're going to kick things off with a little song right now. We're going to go back to, uh, I guess it was the early 80s, first time I ever heard this. Uh, Dave Alvin and his band, The Blasters. So we're going to rock it up a little bit with a little bit of Marie Marie. And we'll be right back with Billy right after this song. Marie Marie. kick off the show there that was a group called the blasters man and uh the song was called marie marie i never will forget the first time i heard that was on the farm at the the first farm aid concert and i was in college and a bunch of my friends and i were watching that 
sitting around drinking beer watching Farm Aid, and I'd never seen anything like this group, the Blasters, man. They they rocked it out. It, man, it was great. Um, you are listening to the Kudzu Radio Hour. Make except no, there are no other exceptions. What am I trying to say? I don't know. I'm except just trying to talk. You know, somebody You're trying to tell them not to accept any substitute. No, accept no substitute. You think that's probably what it is? That's probably what it was. Which it might, it may question, be. Who in the hell would substitute anything? Yeah, I know exactly who in the hell would substitute. <laughs> uh, we we have a special guest today. Yeah, well, we want to welcome Billy Eli first. Boom. Hey, yeah, Bob, how's ooh, it going? and we got two, <laughs> count them, two special guests. Wow, I can't believe it. Join us for the second time. You know him, you love him, you can't live without him. Is Mr. Jim Hemphill, a record producer, multi-instrumentalist, and also a former uh, journalist for magazines, including several publications out in San Diego, California, home of Comic-Con. Woo! Uh, we also are happy to have Patrick Beach, who has written for a number of magazines that make me just a little bit jealous. Yes, Entertainment <laughs> Weekly, which I've read since, the, since they first came out, and GQ, which I never read, but I dreamed of looking like the guys on GQ. And Esquire, I mean Esquire, the uh, Esquire magazine, among others. So, and me, Michael Buffalo Smith, you know me, I've written for anybody that allowed me to write. I've now got 10 books, yes, count them, 10 books, and if I only made money off of them, I'd be very happy. But I've got 10 books, and I've written for magazines such as Rolling Stone, Gold Mine, Discoveries, Hitting the Note, Relics, blah, 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 on and on, Atlanta Journal, Constitution, Newspaper, uh, so many that I can't even remember now. Lots of publications, but haven't freelanced a long, long time. I got tied up doing books. But we're going to talk about magazines today, and I'm going to tell you something. Had it not been for a lot of these magazines, my whole so-called career would have been on a different trajectory. I would have never had these publications. I mean, before I started publications, I worked for other publications simply because I wanted to be like Lester Bangs with Cream Magazine or my all-time favorite, Hunter Thompson with Rolling Stone. Um, you know, it was just a dream. But I've had a lot of fun. Haven't made a lot of money, but these guys can tell you it's not. If you're in it for the money, you need to change careers. Just like music, people say, "Hey Buffalo, what do I need to do to make it in music?" And I'm like, "Well, sell out, and then you can do it." Well, or win the lottery, because even selling them out usually don't. Pay yeah, you'd well. have to even if you sell. I mean, I mean that's even like, if you sell out, unless you're unless you're Tay Tay. Unless you're Tay-Tay. Tay-Tay or uh, one of these people that just somehow or another managed to get it all. But there's only a few of those. I mean, you know, 
there's right. only very and, few. And even, and even they didn't get to pick that. That just happened. They just got <laughs> very, very lucky. So, guys, Maybe. welcome, everybody. Welcome to the program. And thank you for joining us on our little uh, song and dance thing that we do. Just a couple of guys who like to drink beer and talk about crap. Right. Um, thanks for having us, Buffalo. Yeah, Pretty so, much, yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, hey, thanks. Uh, it it hit me while you were introducing uh, Pat, you know, and you were giving these credentials. Man, they are impressive credentials. And you yeah. Like, you know, you were jealous, and I was thinking to myself, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to hate Pat for his credentials. You get to know him <laughs> a little bit longer. And you know, all kind of problems <laughs> have nothing to do with his professional life. You know. You'll, you'll come you'll, you'll come to it quite naturally naturally yeah. exactly uh i wanted to start with a question for uh well for uh jim and pat since they both grew up in central iowa and uh so you know we all you mentioned rolling stone and all of that uh then those were the magazines that that we read and those were the nationals uh so you guys what national magazines do were y'all listen to you know when you were younger and just getting turned in on the music and stuff and was there local equivalents like uh, you two guys in Austin? Was there something like the Chronicle or, uh, you know, or, or uh, Buddy in Dallas or, or uh, what's the, what's the one in Cleveland? The scene? Yeah. Uh, did, did, yeah. Was there was there something in Central Iowa like that? And, and, yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, uh, when I started reading music magazines, when I was you know a kid in the in the seventies. They were kind of my lifeline toward music that wasn't on the radio and that you couldn't find at the mall record stores, I, right? This, I mean, this, you know, this, I heard this, about this, this. This is the exact same thing that was about to come out of my mouth. <laughs> Me too. You know, Me too. The exact same thing. You know, I, I, you know, and uh, one of the, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about Cream because it's the greatest rock music magazine ever in the history of the world. But, and I, I see Buff is wearing the hat. Uh, but one of the first ones that I read was a, was a magazine called Hit Parader, and there it was. Its yeah. editor was a woman named Lisa Robinson, and she was yeah. instrumental in first writing about rock music, kind of seriously. I mean, you know, not Robert Christgau seriously, but but <laughs> also, she also covered the you know the the New York underground scene, the CBGB scene, you know. And I, I probably read 10,000 words about the Ramones before the first time I heard them uh, because you couldn't get a, a Ramones record at Musicland in Marshalltown, Iowa. That's right. You know, you didn't sell them. And then you asked about a local thing, Billy. You know, there was a, a chain of independent underground record stores in the Midwest. They were headquartered in Illinois, but they came into Iowa too called Co-op Tapes and Records. Right. And then they had a magazine called The Prairie Sun, which was a music-oriented uh, local uh, publication and, and it was great to learn about local bands and they covered national acts as they came through too so I think you know let Pat tell what his what his experience is well Jim and I Jim and I grew up eight miles apart uh, four four years uh, age difference and eight miles geographically and I had the exact same experience and uh, yeah I mean uh, it was a musical desert it was totally a musical desert and i remember uh getting my first sort of music journalism buzz from trouser press and 
the best news I've heard in this whole ghastly year is that uh, Trouser Press is being rebooted online and they're reposting all of their stuff uh, through the miracle of Facebook. I'm friends with Ira Robbins, who is the editor-in-chief of Trouser Press. I've still wow. got copies of the magazine uh, up in my attic, but uh, that's what I really cut my teeth on. And the, there was one place where you could get the music they were writing about, and that was a co-op. And it just opened up. That's where I first read about REM. Uh, you were more, no more likely uh, to hear REM on the radio at that time because it was before they even broke on college radio. Then I could be to breathe fire right now. And uh, it just, it told me there was a whole bigger and vastly more interesting world out there. And it gave me a roadmap to go find it. So well, let me yeah, tell you, let me tell you, I was uh, growing up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Billy's favorite town. Fargo City. And we, uh, you couldn't find a single person anywhere who would know what a Ramon was. But yet, I uh, was going to the drugstore and buying these magazines every time they came out. And I knew everything about the freaking Ramones. Uh, there was a, another magazine besides Cream and Circus. I got Cream and Circus every time. Rolling Stones sometimes. Rolling Stones sometimes was a little bit too uh, sophisticated for me. They like, uh, to put, they like to put movie stars on the cover. Yeah, yeah. It, Crawl Daddy was pretty good. Yeah, but uh, but That's I it. was big into cream more than any, and circus. But there was one called Rock Scene, that was just um, mostly New York bands, and um, I remember they had all that stuff about CBs and CBGBs and Maxes and all that stuff about Lou Reed and everything, and lots of backstage photos. And it, it was blowing my mind because I would see these parties, these New York parties where you would see like Ronnie Van Zant from Skinner was arm around Lou Reed and just weird crap. And I'm like, wow, the worlds are colliding in my head. And then here, here, here comes along my father, my dad. He was, was a Baptist minister. A Baptist minister who I... <laughs> Uh, I found out that when he was in the bathroom on the throne, he would always take a copy of Rock Scene and read it. So he uh, comes up to me one day asking about Wayne County. And he's like, tell me about this Wayne County. And I said, you mean the transgender Wayne County who is becoming Jane County? Yeah, tell me about him. What, is, what do they sound like? I said, well, you ever heard a garbage truck full of beer cans being ground up or something? Maybe, or, or crushed? That's kind of what it sounded like. But yet, we liked it. And we liked it that way. It was loud and we liked it. But the... Um, so anyway, he, got, he was into all... You know, I got my dad... Okay, my dad got me into Merle Haggard, you know, head over heels in love with Merle Haggard and George Jones and all that stuff. And I, in turn, got my dad on Alice Cooper, 
<laughs> and Wayne County. Wayne County. To a point. He didn't he didn't like Wayne County's records. He thought he would. He thought he would like the plasmatics he too he till he heard he thought he, would. he thought he would like the plasmatics till he heard their record. And so did I. I thought Wendy O. Williams, that's pretty cool crap. And then I got the forty five and it was blood splattered vinyl forty five. It was like a white record would look like it had blood all over it. And it was Butcher Baby. Butcher Baby. By, by Plasmatics. Butcher Baby! You know, from an ex-porn star with duct tape she, over her she, nipples. And she played Chainsaw, right? She played Chainsaw. And uh, <laughs> that was before Jesse James Dupree and Jackal ever played Chainsaw. And uh, she, uh, yeah, it was... She did, uh, I had that 45, picture sleeve 45, and the one of monkey suit with this brilliant opening line, in your monkey suit, you're just a monkey. What, what was that? That's Wendy O. Williams. In your <laughs> monkey suit, you're just a monkey. Da -da 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 -da. You know, you, it made no sense. Your whereas voice the, is way too smooth. <laughs> whereas the Ramones were more melodic. With their <laughs> melodic. My dad liked them. He was like, I really like that song, Sheena is a Punk Rocker. And he, he liked Sheena and he liked uh, the KKK took my baby away. <laughs> I buy truckers do that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've heard the truckers do it. Yeah, known yeah, those Buffalo, guys for a lot of time, a long time. Buffalo, too. you you mentioned uh, you mentioned both Lester and uh, Lou Reed, and I got to tell you, one of my favorite interview printed exchanges I've ever read. It's in Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dunk. God, what a Lou great Reed, book. Lou Reed and Lester had a complete love hate relationship. And, and of course, Lester's writing the story, and Lou Reed says something to Lester that sounds like, as he puts it, I couldn't tell if that was a backhanded compliment or a cadoferous insult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is on my top ten books of all time: Psychotic Reactions, The Carburetor Dung, and then the biography of Lester Bang called Let It Blurt. Mm -hmm. okay, I had so a job it. I had a job interview once. I got it. If you're going to talk about that book where the job interview, the person doing the interview pulled out that question, what's the last book you read? And it actually was psychotic reactions and carburetor dung. And I thought I'm in a job interview. Ah, what the hell? And so I talked at length about the book and I got the job. So, you know, well, yeah, what was the job? What was the job? Actually, it was at the daily tribune in Ames, Iowa. <laughs> Who was interviewing you? Uh, Dan Geyser and Drake Mabry. Uh, Dwight Mabry? Yeah. Well, you know, so. what's an interesting interesting story to me is that the people that know me know that my, my specialty is Southern rock, although I really, you know, I get kind of burned out on it. But that's my specialty. I know more about that and everything. But wow, the, the thing about... Who to thought? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> So anyway, on the Lester Bangs thing, I was really blown away uh, when I was reading the psychotic reactions when he had that story where he went to Macon and hung out with Wet Willie. Mm -hmm. That was a great story. And then I come to find out he also reviewed 
he reviewed the first Marshall Tucker Band album for Rolling right. Stone, like gave it this great review. When right. you know, and this is the same guy who thought Iggy's Raw Power was a great, great album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got a. I got to underline uh, something Jim said about Cream too, because that was equally important to me uh, as Trouser Press. And Cream was funny as shit. Yeah, big time. Uh, yeah, and you know, uh, it just it just Cream just helped you know solidify my you know uh, to the extent I have any kind of musical aesthetic. You know that Lester's writing and the whole crew at Cream. There were a whole bunch of them. There were great Eric Gennheimer was yeah, great yeah. and Richard Meltzer guys, and all those people. They were just wait, wait, everybody. Everybody here has seen the documentary on Cream, right? I haven't seen it yet. I I'm, hope I'm, not. It's worth. It's definitely worth seeing. I, I, keep, I keep trying to find a way to see it. Yeah. Uh, I I helped kickstart it, so I saw it on Venmo a couple of weeks ago. It's. I'd love to say it's great, but it's just okay. But they were just, they were hanging on by the skin of their teeth the whole time that magazine was yeah. in existence, you know? You know, but one of the great things is, you know, they were they were evangelistic about the stuff they loved. And, you know, for kids like me who were reading about it and thinking, this sounds like something that would be really cool. Uh, I wonder if it is. I you know, know, I know, I know. Just, out and find and find it and you know i liked it you know and, and pat was talking about trouser press and trouser press is kind of like for you know me being a little bit older uh i i you know i kind of formed my idea a lot of ideas about music through reading cream and then finding the stuff and then trouser press was like a confirmation of a bunch of that stuff is yeah it, right exactly like exactly and and because because we grew up in this musical desert you would just like read about these bands and you would hear like who they liked or who they sounded like, and you would go buy those records without hearing a note of their music. You know? Yeah. Things were different before the internet. Well, you guys, well, uh, you guys, well, admit, you had mentioned, uh, I didn't get to, I was going to toss in just my two cents on Trouser Press. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I ever got a copy of that. And, uh, that was a whole different group of bands, pretty much. I mean, there were a lot of people from England and stuff that I didn't know anything at all about. Yeah. And, man, I was blown away. And I remember we got a record store that's still in business here in Greenville. I mean, I'm in Spartanburg, but Greenville's 25 miles up the road. Uh, indie store called Horizon Records. And Gene started in 1975, but I would go there for everything. And he would have these 45s, picture sleeve 45s, and I don't know. You know, that's where I bought my Kate Bush Kick Inside Picture Disc album. And oh, God, that's the first time I ever bought uh, so many things at that record store. But um, he had the magazines and he had Trouser Press. And that one issue it was in plastic and it had a free Elvis Costello button that month if, with, mm. with the magazine, you know, and I was like, wow, you get a free button with the magazine? <laughs> so I ended up getting hooked on that. And like, uh, like you said, I've still got a pile. I'm really bad at keeping everything. So I've still got a pile of trouser press and basically got every cream I ever had. 
And now mm-hmm. this buddy of mine, Tony, he went to work for the cream people and they wanted him to, his job was to digitize every issue of cream. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> so, God. so he went through and everyone that he could find, there were some that he didn't have yet. He digitized those things and um uh wow, there's all kinds of action going on down here in the bottom right corner. It's like we're going going outside. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. a bunch of years ago when I was still at the Austin American Statesman, they put out a coffee table book of like Cream's greatest hits. Yeah, I've got it's that. Really yeah, really terrific. It's book. Big old, I big happened, old giant. Book. I happen, I happen to, yeah, I happen to sit right next to the books editor. I mean, back to back with uh, the books editor, who at the time was uh, this guy Jeff Salomon, and a lot of his job every day was opening boxes and boxes of books <laughs> the publishers would send, and he opened this box with the Cream book, and he was like, ooh, and then I saw it. I was like, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, and it had all the. What was great was it, you know, had all those uh, cream profiles and uh, stars, cars, and all that good stuff. Another thing about cream that they did that I kind of stole their idea was later on when I first started Grits Magazine back in '98 or whatever, I would I would make up my own letters to the editor because Cream did. You know, they would make up these letters that were just hilarious, and people would think that they were huh. I got I got to go get something and show it to you guys. I'll be right back. Go whip yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, don't don't encourage that. <laughs> well, we're already outside, so I didn't know what he was getting ready to do. Yeah, just yeah, just it's best to just skip over it and keep moving. <laughs> so uh, I keep looking at Jim and it's making me want some fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jim, you were talking about uh, you were talking about the. Uh, the indie uh the indie magazine that was affiliated with the um with the record stores with the independent record stores and that you know they covered local bands and regional bands and stuff that you would never hear of and this is off topic but not not a whole lot i remember i remember in the early to late 80s uh a, a lot of record stores bands would do it too but but uh uh record labels and a lot of the indie labels ran their own fanzines for for the for the acts on their for the bands on their label and you could you know they were free and it was you, it was two mimeograph pages and, and, oh, yeah. and, uh, and it was it, it really was kind of like uh it was kind of like function like the internet does now it was underground stuff that you weren't gonna hear about unless somebody told you about it or you knew specifically where to look and uh and the fanzines did that you know uh i can't remember the name <laughs> look at hey, look at that oh man how much do i love the boy howdy i could talk <laughs> for days about how much i just love the logo the robert crumb logo <laughs> i've got the t-shirt in the closet but mine's black with white print i just love that i've got i ordered a bunch of you know they they have a store online a cream store uh-huh. i ordered me a bumper sticker overpriced <laughs> <laughs> You know, all kinds uh, of stuff. Uh, just because uh, I, I mean, I was just a diehard. Still am. I, and I kept talking to my friend Tony, who who was working with the guy that owned the rights to the thing, but he owned half of the rights to Cream. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about starting it back up. 
But the other guy, no way in the world the other guy's going to ever let him start it back up. I said, well, it's okay, because it couldn't be the same anyway. Is that is that hold chip? Yeah. Yeah. I wish he's, it. I wish it could be a, like that again. Yeah, hold chip has got a lot of health issues. One of the great things about Cream is, you know, the fa- the famous quote from Elvis Costello is that writing about music's like dancing about architecture. You know, it's, <laughs> because it's a because you can't really, you know, the theory is you can't really get through in words what what music is and that's true to an extent but one of the great things about cream is the way (laughs) they wrote was so consistent with the kind of music that that they were writing about that it was just you know it, it to some of us it almost became inseparable the way they described the music and what the music sounded like it was just all part of the same kind of head trip the same kind of aesthetic which was that's, which that's was absolutely really cool true and that was that was absolutely critical in establishing uh, a relationship of almost uh, complete trust between the writers and the reader you know you never went wrong if uh you went and bought a record by somebody you first heard about in cream or for that matter trouser press you know you knew that they weren't going to write about it was much later than that, but you know, Creamer Trouser Press wasn't going to write about Scratty Politi or some shit like that. Well, I went through a, I went through a real, I went through a real phase when the band Kiss started up, and yeah, Pat was in the Kiss Army. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, still waiting on my belt buckle. Cream was the first one that put a put a picture of them out without without the makeup at that point they didn't oh was that right yeah it was it's that picture of them that's famous picture it's all over the internet and uh, they all had on sunglasses but they had on no makeup and uh i remember i remember they had their their big unveiling live on mtv oh that was when they had vinnie vincent oh god yeah well, that was the first. That was the first rock show I ever saw. October fourth, nineteen seventy nine, Veterans Memorial Auditorium, in Iowa. The same day that Pope John Paul II came to Iowa, and I was. I grew up an altar boy. I grew up an altar boy in confused. Central Iowa, and I decided to go see Kiss instead of the Pope. Yeah, I can't blame you. See the Kiss of the Pope. I just don't know the Kiss of the Pope. Kiss of the Pope. The first time I saw Kiss was in 74. Say, I'm old. So I saw them opening for Black Oak, Arkansas. And they had the James James Montgomery Band played first, and then Kiss, and then Black Oak. But after Kiss played, and and at that time, they only had enough material to do 45 minutes, you know? That's why why a live live two is only three sides live. Yeah, that's true. They they called them out... uh, they called them out after the after they played. Black Oak got booed off the stage on the first song. They yeah. were they were screaming for Kiss to come back out, and it was. That and was, that, was that, but they were out of material. They came back That's and repeated. Right. They came back and repeated a song, but it's like Black Oak only ended up playing three songs that night, and Jim Mangrum got so mad. He went over, and Gene Simmons was standing on the side of the stage, and he had already wiped all the makeup off and all that. And he grabbed Simmons and was dragging him out on the stage. (laughs) 
and going, is this what you want? Is this what you want? And they were going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, Simmons was eating that up. And, uh, and Jim says, all right, y'all can have it. And he just walked off and just, just – and I was pissed because we had paid to see all of it, you know. I'd paid my hard-earned $5.50 for three bands. You know, that's a lot of money for three bands. And uh, and they this is their first tour with Ruby Starr, and I wanted to see that vivacious chick. Right, because you're right, because she wasn't wearing the top. Exactly, I wanted to see her. I wanted to see her go, Jim Dandy. Right. And uh, real bad, but no, it was all over with, you know. And that was what was weird about that tour was that all Kiss had was those costumes that. Lydia Chris had made them out of vinyl that looked like leather and they just had big empty Marshall cabinets with PV amplifiers stuck in the back of them uh-huh. and yeah. fire fire lights like on a fire engine and, you know and that was their the whole thing smoke machines from a magic store and we thought that was the greatest thing in the world and then in the future you know I, you know, I really got to loving their show and everything and then I went through this love-hate thing. I mean, I wrote a book about them and everything else, but then it got to this point where when it came so obvious that Gene Simmons is just trying to make all the money in the world off the fans, you know, it, just, it don't matter. I'll sell you anything that's got my picture on it, I, from I condoms to, to caskets. Yeah. I talked. To, I, inter- I interviewed Stanley a few years ago, like maybe oh, yeah. seven or years ago, when his autobiography came out. He was. He seemed like a really, really sweet guy. But yeah. I asked him about Simmons and his relationship with Simmons, and and he said, "Just Gene is Gene." Yeah, Gene is <laughs> yeah. Gene. Uh, I never oh, interviewed. Yeah. I never interviewed Paul. I did uh, Peter Asen, and I've done Gene twice. And when years, I did years, years before that, I did interview Simmons, and I said, "Hey, you were the you got my concert cherry. I saw you <laughs> on the day the Pope came to Des Moines." And Simmons said, "Oh yeah, we had T-shirts made up that said Kiss Pope Tour 1979 <laughs> because of course Kiss would be at the top of the bill." Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> you know the thing about Gene Simmons is you have to admit is that man has a mind like a steel trap. He remembered every time. This was the first interview I did was in 92. And we were talking and I was, I was like, um, yeah, I remember uh, when you set the curtain on fire in Charlotte, blowing fire, the curtain over the proscenium arch. And he he pops off the date. And then he, goes, he names the, the promoter. <laughs> and everything. And on the next night, we were blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay. And, you know, the weird thing, we were talking about cartoons and uh, all those old uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. He knows the names of every one of those episodes. Who did all the voices? Everything. It's just ridiculous. He also apparently has an encyclopedic knowledge of horror films. Like, you just give, like, a one-sentence description of the plot of any horror film that he can make. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's true. Any, Any of them. And, 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 you know, during the quarantine, he's been posting uh, a lot of his sketches, artwork. He's a really good artist. Oh, really yeah. good. I mean, just yeah. like, 
you know, he calls it doodling, and I'm like, I call it high art. But anyway, we will get off of this subject. This horse has been kicked <laughs> way too much in seven-inch leather heels. <laughs> well, well, well but one, of, one of the funny things, though, that it's funny that Kiss seems to come up every time some of us get together and talk about music, but... But really, going back to the, the topic of today, right, some of those early cream magazines and hit paraders, you know, pe- kids like me took them off the shelf because there was a piece on Kiss in it. Yeah, I did. And, and then we'd open it up and there'd be something on the Stooges yeah. or, or uh, the Velvet Underground or the New York Dolls who used to, you know, play shows with Kiss back yeah. in the day in New York. And so that was kind of a gateway. So, I mean, I you know, I think that had a lot to do with, you know, how how a lot of us discovered some of the stuff that was beyond, you know, other than kids. You're talking about cream yeah. and the humor in cream magazine. There was an article in there one time where this reporter, I don't think it was Lisa Robinson, but it was some girl. The only one that has ever played, ever played air guitar on stage with kiss. And they had made her up with all this makeup. And she got up there and wrote an article, um, Called. I, I was. I, I dreamed I, I was on stage with Kiss in my maiden form bra. That was the name of the article, and it was hilarious. But they used to have the funniest art. They, you know, they write about a band, like I write about band. They never mentioned the music when they wrote about Kiss. They talk about the Lizard King, the bat, the bat lizard. And they, they all, the spaceman, all this kind of stuff, and you're like, what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I never could pronounce her name, but I know who you're talking about. Her name is Jan or Jan. Uh, yeah, Jan. And uh, Uba Jan. Yulski or something like that. But anyway, she was yeah, yeah. Uber she was Chaka. great. She was terrific. Oh yeah, she she's from Detroit. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in the documentary film. Well, I really you want, want to see that really badly. Buffalo, you wanted, to pull this out of the, you wanted to pull this out of the ditch and get us onto something else. Uh, yeah, he just said that. <laughs> he, I was lying. I could talk about kiss all day. He, he, he doesn't care if we're in the ditch. Oh, give a crap. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't care about the ditch. I was, I, trying to, I was trying to pretend to be a leader of some sort. I wanted, <laughs> yeah, to, I no. wanted, to, I wanted to say something about uh, the late, great hit parader also. Please do. They, uh, you know, the, the record reviews in Hip Parader were in the front of the book, and it <clears throat> it leaned a little more hard rock and metal. Uh, but that was when I first discovered when I knew something about the bands that they were writing about because they were more, for want of a better term, mainstream. They reviewed them as uh, works by that band. It wasn't just like, this is shit and I've never heard anything like this before. Like, you know, yeah. they'd review the new REO Speedwagon album as an REO Speedwagon album. It's like, and that sort of set the the parameters of fairness for criticism. And then when I got to college, I took a whole class on uh, on criticism. And it oh. goes back to the, it goes back to the philosopher Goethe. You can, you can review anything, a movie, a book, a play, a record, a concert, with just just by answering three questions in one way. First, what is the artist trying to do? Second, how well did they do it? Third, and most importantly, is it worth doing in the, in the first place? 
you know. Wow. Yeah. Um. Wow. Every time you walk, every time you walk out of a movie, or a show, or hear a record, or read a book, and have a conversation about it, you're answering those three questions in some way. Unless you're Jim's wife, in which she (laughs) says, "It wasn't good because I didn't like it." (laughs) Well, yeah. What the hell does that mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not contributing as much as I usually do because I'm not a journalist. I've never been a journalist. I'm not interested in journalism. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I don't even really like music all that much. <laughs> got too, I hate music. Mm-hmm. It's got too many notes. Well, you know, uh, Billy. I understand why you don't like music. I've heard your albums. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no. You, you, hey now, wait a minute. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's going to land on Jim, not hey. me. <laughs> no, 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 Billy. Your records aren't your records aren't bad. It's just the way they sound. <laughs> it's yeah. It's you know. It's not good because I don't like it. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, Jim, I, Jim, you were talking about the uh, and and I know a little bit of uh, about the magazine you were working for in san diego they, they covered a lot of the regional stuff that's when uh you saw beat farmers a lot and uh what and what was their what was that splinter band the Pl- pleasure barons or, and, and pleasure barons uh-huh. yeah yeah so I, 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 I was gonna get you guys to talk about uh you know because since y'all are journalists uh about uh you know the the magazines are that covered you know regional stuff and 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 we were talking a little bit about the midwest but i'm and what y'all uh damn what was uh, the publication that was affiliated with the, yeah the prairie sun yeah that but uh well you know when you almost every almost every big city i mean at one time we had multiple of those things and some of them covered a little narrow a little narrow sliver of sometimes a, a genre that wasn't, you know, the, the entire genre might only have, you know, six bands in it, man, 500 fans worldwide. And they would cover a little sliver of that very small genre. And, uh, and I had mentioned that, you know, with the fanzines and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, I keep forgetting what it was like in, in Austin, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, Cause it's a big huge city now but when i moved there in 84 i mean hell there wasn't even a half of me people there it was really still just kind of a glorified town you know and uh-huh. uh and it was and and yeah the uh there would be for lack of a better word fan a fanzine i mean the clubs would do them you know and, and write about the bands that played in their clubs and and uh so I just wanted to bring that up and then kick it over to y'all since I don't really have anything intelligent to say about it. Well, that's a, that's, that's a good point. Um, I did want to mention because... that we had a, I lived in Atlanta for a while and there was a, a regional publication down there called Great Speckled Bird. It was kind of like a low, Rolling Stone thing. Um, I've got an issue that's got Dwayne Allman on the cover from like 1970, 1970, whatever. 
one thing I wanted to throw out today, uh, I had every intention of playing a song by a band from Lincoln, Nebraska called Shit Hook. And uh, these guys, I wanted to tell quickly how I even know about them. The song is called When a Boy, when a Boy Scout Gets the Blues. And it's a rocking band, man. I'm telling you. The drummer, Dave Roble, and I became good friends. But um, the short version of it is writing for Goldmine Magazine. That's the time that Boxcar Willie passed away. My editor, Greg Losher, told me, he said, I want you to write an obituary, but I want, it to, I want you to talk to a guy who used to produce Boxcar Willie in Lincoln, Nebraska, he had a record label called Roto Records, and his name was Bobby Lowell. So he had me to get in touch with Bobby and Lincoln, and I interviewed him about Boxcar, and then I found out that Bobby was the first rockabilly star from Nebraska. At the time, Bobby was 71 years old. He's now passed away. But he was 71 had a hit called Um Baby Baby in 1954. And uh, he went around, it was a, it was like a, he toured with the Blue Cats, with Gene Vincent, with, you know, all these different people like that. He was, you know, the uh, original Bill Haley and his comments, all this kind of stuff. Bobby and I became friends on the phone. The next thing you know, I'm on a Greyhound bus leaving Greenville, South Carolina to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. Big mistake. Big, big mistake. <laughs> big it mistake. took three days on the bus to get to Lincoln because they went everywhere else first, including <laughs> Atlanta, including <laughs> Chicago. Including, and, you know, and it, nine times out of ten, I felt like I was going to be killed by criminals at every bus stop. I mean, it was scared the crap out in, in the in Nebraska. No, was before way before, way before Nebraska. The time I got to Nebraska, Nebraska I felt for its bus stop I felt then, safe when then, I got to then, Nebraska because nothing but corn. And then and, when you get to Lincoln, you got Charlie Starkweather waiting for you. Yeah, that's right. Well, so I ended up I ended up getting to to, to Lincoln, meeting Bobby. Meeting Bobby introduced me to all his friends. And he had all these musician friends, Sean Benjamin and all that. Dave Robel had the band Shithook. It was this really great Hispanic rockabilly band called the Mezcal Brothers that uh, with a drummer named Gringo Star. Gringo Star. <laughs> I mean to tell you, they're, they're kind of like a Hispanic blasters. Um, really great stuff. But I ended up, Bobby got sick with cancer, and Bobby kept telling me he loved my singing, and he thought I would make a great blues album. So, long story short, I ended up going up there to Jam Palace Studios, a second trip to to Lincoln, and with all these rockabilly and blues you just love, you stars, just recorded an album with all these guys that were like top-level musicians and uh then the third trip was going back for the cd release party at the zoo bar which is a happening place 
I mean, it was so much fun. We had um, Jim, Jim. That's where uh, Charlie Burton always used to play. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Lots of people, and the the they've got a famous wall in the zoo bar posters that just um, incredible. They got this huge one of Edgar Winter up there. That oh man. But anyway, I ended up meeting all these guys, and the reason was because of Goldmine Magazine. So that's what I'm saying. I ended up doing a whole album. And meeting all these people simply because I was writing for a magazine. And uh, I mean, and that's not the only time it ever happened, but it was kind of like a hey, kind of all wild. You guys, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Bill Haley. I'm sorry. Did you want to finish a point? I was going to no, bring no, up Bill I have Haley. no point. No, there was no point. Uh, <laughs> um, There's never a point except between my ears. We, we, don't, we don't do points on this. We just ramble. <laughs> no point. We're, we're, we're talking about music journalism Rambling. and music magazine. One of the best pieces of music journalism I ever read was by Mike Hall at Texas Monthly on the last days of Bill Haley. Bill Haley wound up uh, toward the end of his life living in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas along the border. And uh, he sounded like an insanely bitter man. He would go, you know, he'd go to some diner for breakfast, and he was mad if people didn't recognize him. Yeah. And he was mad if they did. It's just a terrific piece of writing. He also wrote, this year, you're not going to believe this, but this insane story about seals and crofts. The pop man? <laughs> yeah, 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 there's yeah. a lot more to them than meets the eye, though. Well, that one of the one of those guys, he was from Ford or someone, wasn't he? Nash Cross was they, the drummer in the uh, Champs that did Tequila. They kind of got their start uh, in the oil patch in uh, Midland, Odessa. Oh yeah, there's there's a garden spot. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to forget that. Well, no, yeah, I know. That's why you have to. That's what it is with me. If I don't spit it out, I'm gonna for, I'll forget it. Who uh, who wrote the article you was talking about, Pat? Michael Hall. Michael Hall. Wasn't he in a band? Wild Seeds. Wild, Wild Seeds. Seeds. Yeah. Yeah. Wild Seeds. And they uh, they they had uh, uh, I can't rock you all night long. But right. there it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Are you guys yeah. familiar I'm, with uh, another I, I, a gr- another really good music journalist? It's called. That, it's, it's called. I'm sorry, I can't, can't write. I can't rock you, rock you all night long. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I can't my, really say I, I know him, but I've met him a couple of times. My he's, a, he's a he's a funny guy. I saw I saw the Wild Seeds, Jimmy. You were probably there too at yeah. the carousel not too long ago, and yeah. that was right after that Seals and Croft story came out. It was like, my dude, that story was phenomenal. Like, why? Why do I have to read 10,000 words about seals and cross? And I'm so glad I did. Well, yeah, but I liked them. I liked them quite a bit. And uh, the um, I did a great interview with Dash Crofts, and he just he was living in Nashville. And we talked for three hours. We got on talking about his religion, the, uh, the Baha'i faith. Baha'is, yes. Yeah, and uh, all about hummingbirds and stuff. But he was uh, he was a great guy, and um, I don't know. It's just one thing one thing leads to another, and he uh, oh god, and, and, some, I, I, and some stuff leads to Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after you go through 
You go past about 50 miles of corn, yeah. Yeah, with that, yeah. But I was just reiterating that, yeah, one thing does lead to another thing. And a lot and of times you, that other thing is is not anywhere you want to be. Well, what I started to say a while ago, and I know I'm going to forget it again, but uh, <laughs> one guy I wanted to say that was one of my journalism influences, I got to meet, he was in a rock band called Brownsville Station. Cub oh, Coda. Coda. Oh, yeah. Boys room. Uh, yeah, but he was a great journalist too. And uh and he's the one one of the ones that when I first started with Goldmine and everything cuz he was he wrote all kinds of stuff. But what man, talk Jim about Dickens. a nice guy. And Jim I told Dickens. him was, I, you know when I saw him you first time. For them? Yeah, 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 he sure did, yeah. I'll 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 I'll, I'll let I'll finish and then I'll tell my 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 Cub Coda story. Go yeah, ahead. well, I'm I'm about finished. I was going to say uh, they opened for the Edgar Winter Group in 1974 at Greenville, and I thought it was just the coolest thing in the world. And I had no idea that you know 10 or 15 years later I'd be talking to the guy about journalism. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Cub was the Cub was I met Cub. Uh, I worked uh, stage crew for a Brownsville station show at, of all places, the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa, which was the site of the last Buddy Holly, oh. Richie Valens winter dance party show. Uh, it was, it's a long story. A band I was in had the guy, a guy who was managing us and he hooked us up with, with maybe playing that show and then that fell through, but he said, well, we could use some stage hands, some, some stage crew. So we went up there and, and, uh, up to clear lake and and worked it and all the guys in brownsville station that's when they had just recently become a four piece they were a three piece for a lot of their Forever. history and they, they hired that uh, uh fourth guitarist bruce but all four of the guys were just terrific and cub just cub loved music and there were three or four local bands opening this would have been the late 70s and he was just grooving to the whole thing he i mean he would go and talk to the bands and say how great they were and <laughs> stand there. And he wasn't one of these guys who stayed on the bus until it was showtime. He went right. out there and saw every single band that was on the building. And I think there were four bands, three local bands in Brownsville Station. He was out there shaking their hands. And it was just, it was a great experience. He was a really, really cool Man, band. I'm glad to hear that. That's that, that was my experience with him too, was just one of these genuine, nice people. And, you know, and they are kind of few and far between in the music business. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of nice when you meet somebody like that and they're just absolutely no ego whatsoever. Uh, yeah. Hey, Buff, let me ask you a question. Okay, ask you've me a question. You've interviewed a lot of people. Yeah, I'm afraid I do. In my experience, some of my best interviews have been with people whose music I admired the least. <laughs> <laughs> do you well, have uh, any anything similar well see you, there's here my problem is this there's not very many that i don't like yeah i've got all of billy's albums <laughs> there you go i love billy eli's music I, I i've spent days where i would just put them all on no kidding and let's let them play back to back all day until at the end of the day i was talking like billy I was like, hey, I got to go get me a beer. What's yeah, going on around here? People like us need beers, you, man. 
People you, like us need mirror. You really you need should, a therapist. You should have been on this. Uh, you should have been on this Zoom happy hour we had uh, yesterday yeah. afternoon. Really I love a Zoom happy yeah, hour. Yeah, man. I, I I fucked this chick once. Well, no, that's not true. But anyway, I was trying to buy coke off of her. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that chick, that's that chick that sucked off Vince Neil. <laughs> I was trying to think there are people there. There've only been like five or six people. Well, three or four people that I've ever interviewed that I just didn't like. I mean, very few. When it was my, when it was my beat, I had to interview everybody who was coming to town. And if it was a big, if it was a big road show, uh, because I was the pop music critic for the Des Moines register, which doesn't sound too incongruous because they also they had a great local scene but they're also at the intersection of interstates 35 and 80 so every huge road show uh going across <laughs> the country would come there or nearby so oh, i would crossroads go, yeah right. who had the, of go, all the people you interviewed who had the biggest ego oh besides geez. gene simmons i had some i enjoyed my interview with gene simmons me too but I was going to say uh, the, the, the two interviews I enjoyed a lot more than I expected to were with Clint Black. <laughs> Who the hell cares about Clint Black? Killing time. Yeah. Except he's he actually told, a pretty smart guy, isn't he? And he's, yeah, he's, he is. I like he, him. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's from told, Houston. He's a really – he's a smart guy, and he's another one of those guys – when I met him anyway, he was just – he was a really nice guy. Just And he – he told me the story about how uh, he was on an airplane and, uh, you know, because he's, he's a man of faith and he was on an airplane and right. one of the engines blew out or something. And he thought the plane was going down and he just felt a great sense of peace. And it wasn't like when you do a bunch of these interviews, I did hundreds of interviews with these people. And you can tell when the publicist is feeding them lines and just giving them talking points like through a this was coming straight out of his heart and he said i just i i was sure i was going to die and i was okay with it the other one the the other one that was just about as good a very very smart guy billy uh was billy joel oh yeah yeah i don't i don't doubt that at all yeah Yeah, like him billy joel told me he toured with a whole suitcase full of books and uh, and just did nothing but read for the, you know, 21 hours he didn't have to be at the show. Right. Good, yeah. And, and I said, and I said, so what do you, what do you, what do you say to the, you know, the criticism that this is just like easy sort of in pan alley songwriting and he said, this is a guy who barely graduated from high school. And he said, the word I hear most often is facile. And, uh, <laughs> and then <clears throat> to bring up journalism of a sort, once again, I interviewed Barry Manilow. What was oh, that like? Mandy. What was that like? It was fun. It was fun. He was very self-aware. And I remembered, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the national, in the national lampoon, in the National Lampoon, they used to have those fake letters every year. She was like, dear sirs, dear sirs, dear sirs. And one of them was, dear sirs, if Barry Manilow is in the middle of the road, why doesn't somebody run him over? And so, oh, God. <laughs> so I said that. I said that to Barry Manilow. 
And I said, okay, well, how, how do you answer that? And he said, you know what I say? Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I want to I I touch on something Pat was just talking about. He's talking about good interviews with the... Uh, with artists whose, you know, music you weren't, that wasn't particularly your your taste, but uh, and and you start we started that bit talking about Clint Black and and um, I, here's the thing I, I wasn't ever a huge fan of his. He he had a couple songs that if I heard them I kind of knew them, but it, it that what he did was it wasn't the kind of thing that I like. It was a, it was a little too sweet and uh. And yeah, and it was it wasn't dark enough. <laughs> and, but uh, but here but here's the thing about it for what it for what it was he was he was smart enough and talented enough that the the thing he was doing whereas it wasn't anything that I cared about very much he was really good at it and I could say the same thing about Billy Joel who you know again a little too adult contemporary for my taste he's got some songs that I like but. But he's obviously, I mean, he he's obviously got talent at that at that thing that that he's chosen to do, and he does it very well. And the same thing could be said about Barry Manilow when you mentioned him, and everybody always thinks about all this cheeso stuff. And what I always think of is all those great jingles that he wrote, man. Yeah. I mean, that, that that guy was, a, I mean, he was a jingle writing Einstein, man. Uh, for Kodak and for McDonald's, you deserve a break day. Everybody can still sing that damn thing. Well, the and, first and first the, time the I Kodak, ever saw Barry, the Kodak but... thing of uh, times of your life, man. And you know, I, I never knew that those were real songs until somebody I knew played an album. Is I was like, hey man, isn't that a Kodak commercial? Yeah. <laughs> first time I ever you know, saw Barry Manilow, I saw a Bette Midler concert, and he was her piano player. That was in 1973, uh, and next thing I know, he was uh, on the radio. But before that, what he was what a, gay bathhouse were you in? <laughs> <laughs> it was a special one. Um, <laughs> it catered to buffaloes, and <laughs> we, I felt like I'd been road hard and put up wet. Oh my goodness! <laughs> the uh, anyway, or, or at least road hard. Uh, oh well. Okay. okay. You know, uh, w- one thing that might be real interesting to talk about, since we're supposed to be talking about music journalism, Amazing that man. is how uh, how music journalism reacted to these seismic spasms of punk and then hip hop. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, and I can't remember if it was Cream or Hit Parader, but when the when the first Ramones album came out, I think it was Hit Parader. They had they assigned two different people to review it, and they had two reviews that ran side by side. Oh uh, yeah, and, and and one of one of the reviews was your traditional, you know, mainstream rock person who said, you know, any any tenth grade band in the country, uh, <laughs> maybe 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 they don't have a wall of marshals and leather jackets, but they could cut heads on these guys easily, and. <laughs> And the and the other reviewers like this is the greatest record I've heard in, you know, fifteen years, and so there was I mean I I, I mean I think there was you know that was a that was a real divide back then. Uh, I don't think I can speak intelligently to to the hip hop revolution because I'm just an old guy. But uh, but back then there was I mean there was a there was a there was some debate in the pages of those music magazines that we read about you know. 
what about the Ramones? You know, what about the fact that, you know, they couldn't play a cover of Train Kept a Rolling, which was the, you know, which back then was the that signifier. Was gold, that was a gold of, standard. Yeah, how, how, how good was your cover of Train Kept a Rolling, you know? Uh, so, you know, that was, an, that, was a, that was an interesting time. Well, you know, the, I, I was very, uh, among all my travels and, and everything, I was very fortunate to have lived a little while up in Jersey. And when I did, uh, that wasn't the fortunate part. The fortunate part was that I worked in Manhattan. And uh, I got to go to CBGB's and uh, Max's and stuff. I got to see the Ramones at CBGB's. You and saw I, the Ramones at CBGB's. Yeah, I did. And I was, uh, yeah, on the front row. Uh, gabba gabba hey baby and I'm a, yeah I told you I was old um, so anyway it was uh, a um, I had never seen anything like it uh, I had not heard any of the records at that point and when they came out and they just they were the skinniest people on earth to start with and they came out and they did not announce who the hell they were nobody no no announcing nothing they just went into the songs. Every what song was a are? every song was a minute and a half. They take about a ten second break in between, not say a word, go into the next one, which sounded just like the one before it. It just bah, 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 bah. And you felt like you had just been like uh, either screwed by Arnold Schwarzenegger or <laughs> hit hit by a jackhammer to the head, one or the other. Or both simultaneously. I don't but know. I'll be back. I'll be back. The first time I saw the Ramones was at the Holiday Inn in Des Moines, <laughs> oh, Iowa, no. in a revolving. The Holiday Inn. <laughs> it was. A, it was a, the the because uh, I was there too. The it was a. It had been a revolving <laughs> restaurant at the top of the Holiday. It's maybe fifteen stories tall. Had one of those revolving restaurants, so you could eat dinner there and you know see the entire splendor of Des Moines, Iowa. It's <laughs> revolved. And it's it, all the splendor of Des Moines. And it had fallen into disrepair and some <laughs> and some some local punk rock guys and record store owners got together and and rented it out to, to bring the Ramones to to <laughs> to Des Moines. And the, the ceiling was so low that you know Joe when Joey picked up his mic stand as he would, you know, and kind of held it up, it, he he hit the ceiling. And like chunks of popcorn ceiling shit started falling down on him. Oh, great! That's punk, man. That's punk. The, the only like, thing, the only thing I remember Joey saying during the show, he might have said more. He kind of looked around. He said, "I think this is the first time the Ramones have played a Holiday Inn." And my girl, my girlfriend, my girlfriend actually flashed her tits at Dee Dee. Well, <laughs> probably didn't affect him at all. The uh, the the. Uh, yeah, I was I was gonna say uh when, wild and, kids and, in the morning. That night at, that night at CBGB's I I went uh with the girl I was seeing and we went in and we went in the dark man it was packed. Everything. So when the Ramones took a break, you know, I was I wasn't a really a professional journalist at that point, but I was always inquiring and always wanted to ask questions. So I you know, I saw Joey and I just walked up and I said, Hey man, can I buy your beer? I want to talk to you. Sure. <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> Anybody can buy me a beer. So he go, we go over to the bar and we're standing here talking. Let's swear to God on a stack of Bibles. 
we're talking, and this cockroach comes walking out on the bar. It must look like it was six inches long. And we're talking, and Joey takes his beer bottle and slam! Slams it down on the thing. Just keeps talking like it's nothing's, you know, like it's an everyday occurrence. Well, and I'm was. like, probably was, this yeah. place has <laughs> you know, bugs. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. He says, he goes, well, yeah, it does. But we, I just asked him about, you know, something about um, what made him want a career in music. And he goes, it's chicks, chicks and beer. <laughs> chicks and beer made you want to yeah. be a musician. Okay. And then there was a hit. Check this out. Later on, when I first started the Kudzu Radio Hour way back on Sunday nights, I had this guy, I can't call his name, but it was uh, Joey Ramone's brother who wrote a book called I Slept with Joey Ramone. And his, and that was a great book, man. But his brother used to like be, uh, drive them around and do all that kind of stuff. You know, he's one of the people that did all the work and got none of the glory. But anyway, uh, that was my story. Was the cockroach killed by Joey Ramone with a beer bottle, <laughs> which is politically incorrect because you're not supposed to kill. And I think the cockroach had a rebel flag on his back. So there you go. <laughs> I, think, I, I think I think that's okay. <laughs> that made it All okay. Right, what's uh, what's the best music journalism book y'all have ever read about journalism? Music journalism, or or, or a book of uh, of journalism? Yeah, like psychotic reaction. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah, okay, okay. That we're or not, any we're of the, that or any of the Hunter Thompson stuff. Not yeah. So we're not 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 autobiographies, and you know, my life by Keith Richards. That's a whole. <laughs> oh God, yeah. God. That that Keith Richards book. That is my all time favorite. Isn't that a wonderful? At least he's honest. Uh, okay, uh, but book about yeah, all right, book jur- journalism book about music or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, psychotic reactions is clearly, I mean, you know, uh, yes, yeah, like the Bible for me. I've got it. Yeah, it is. It and is. there's a okay. What's the other book? What's the other one? I've got two of them by him sitting over here. What's the name of the a, other one? Lester there was Banks. Another col- there was another collection that Marcus didn't edit, and it's called something else, but I have it. Yeah, it's over here behind me, but I'm too lazy to get up there. I'm also afraid that that shelf behind me at any point could fall over. Because there was a time about two years ago when it fell on me, and I had to go to the emergency room. The whole thing. <laughs> lot of books. books. I was buried under books, and I couldn't get off the floor because I had twisted my knee i had to get oh that was oh that's terrible but anyway if you gotta die i say die under a pile of books die under a pile of books i would say i would say like everything by stanley booth stanley and, booth uh, i read, well the only thing of his that i've read was that uh the hearing the band play what the, the when he in 69 when he toured with the stones yeah 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 i've got that one yeah I, I, I don't even down. know the name of that book. Um, it's Up and Down with the Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, that, you know, I mean, it covered that tour, but the, the thing that I really liked about that book was that it covered a whole lot more than just the Stones. I mean, he was he was 
he wrote a lot about just sort of the, the mood in the country at the time, depending yeah. on where he, you know, on, on where they were playing and where he was and what he saw and what the crowd reactions were like and the local reactions. And, uh, no, nah, that was a, you know, that, that was a whole lot more than, a, than, you know, a tell all book about a rock man, you know, absolutely. Or, or, because, because what is, what does music do? It speaks to the times of above. You were talking about, it was the Bible to you. And I had a roommate, Jim, Chris Lester. Mm-hmm. Um, he always had uh, Chris Gow's 70s record guide. And whenever he was getting ready to go to bed, he had it next to his bedside. <sighs> he was like, all right, I'm going in. It's time to go read some scripture and go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> I can, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and it, it, y'all all picked the same book, right? For the... Yeah, that's the gold yeah. standard. The Bible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, for, for me, for me, it's the you know, for me, it's the uh, it's the collected writings of Lester Banks, who is, you know, a, a messed up individual, certainly. Yeah. But, but he, I mean, the amazing thing is when you when you find someone who has who can write like the way he could write, and he had a subject that fit what he wrote about so completely that it was, it was it was as if you know it was as if the guy couldn't write anything else but when he wrote what he knew he was one of the best writers right it was almost a savant, almost a savant kind of deal yeah. Man. Yeah. wait 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 i've got a i've got a lester story for you and hold ship told me this directly okay um Lester was, Lester had, let's get windy here. Lester yeah. had by that point moved to Detroit and uh, he was late on a deadline. And uh, Holdship or somebody else at the magazine said, Lester, you need to bring us your piece. And he said, I can't, my apartment house caught fire. And Holdship went over there and his apartment house really had caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, uh, you guys were talking about those. There's one that slipped my mind that I've got to, I've got to mention. One, one of the books that I read years ago, and it took me forever to get another copy of it because they were selling it on eBay for way too much money. And it was a book called Billion Dollar Baby by Bob Green, where the reporter Bob Green went on the road with Alice Cooper on the 1973 tour and it is so detailed and so good i mean it was one of the greatest rock journalism things i ever read in my life and i wanted to get a i had it back in college i loaned it to a friend and never got it back and then Mm. I, i saw the oddly enough the paperback version on ebay was 400 dollars the hardback version was $300, so it was more for the paperback version. But then I ended up finding it in a used bookstore for two bucks. Wow. So, but but it's, uh, it, I read it again <laughs> with great fervor because it just, uh, I'm seeing ghosts on this machine. Oh, that's, he's walking around. That's what it is. That's yeah. me. It looks like yeah, ghosts. I got, a, I got a book you can go to half price and buy for a dollar. <laughs> do what now he's he's got a book out you can buy it and have price books for a dollar <laughs> you know on a dollar show 
You can I, buy I, any I, of mine for a dollar. Just send me a dollar, and I'll send you well, any of mine. I was fixing. I was fixing to say everybody on this. Everybody on this group today, man. We we all have we all have uh, creative things that you can buy at the off the dollar table. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I have. Uh, I've got so many books and CDs here behind me that I could start a store. Only thing is, nobody would want to buy the stuff that's in it. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like. Um, all right. Second best rock autobiography or biography. Oh, okay. Well, second best one? Second best. Well, he's, he's talking we can, about. We can, all agree, we can all agree that uh, Keith Richards is the best. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. No, I can. I can go with that. Uh, and and I and I'm not counting that Stanley Booth book. I mean, I know it is about the Rolling Stones, but it's not exclusively just about them. It's got all that stuff in it about Graham Parsons and BB King and and um, anyway. Uh, all right, here here and and I'm prepared to get flamed. Uh, tales from Margaret Tales from Margaritaville. What the fuck, Jimmy <laughs> Buffett? Hey, man, it's a good book, and he can write. Or he can tell a story, and somebody can write it. Yeah, well, he, no, he's a good writer. He's a really good writer. This, uh, with him moving around down here on the screen, reminds me of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> it's got me scared, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, anyway. Uh, I'm trying to think of what my favorite. I've got so many. All right, all right. So, second best. Okay, you, Pat. Mine? Yeah, yeah, man. Springsteen, Born to Run. Whoa! One, two, three, four. One. What a great book that, that is. I hadn't read that one. What, what about a great you, Jim? book. You know, it's terrific. And uh, the the main thing that I took away from that book, he's got some amazing stories. <laughs> he gave his dad crabs. You know. <laughs> Yeah, let's yeah. Ah, I'm, let's okay. move. Yeah. Let's just yeah. move along. <laughs> but I was I was telling a friend of mine about this just just yesterday, and oh, oh I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you this story. In 2010, this is gonna take a few minutes, so y'all just shut the fuck up. But in 2010, <laughs> in 2010, Springsteen was booked to give the keynote at South by Southwest. And it's a wonderful speech. You can find it on YouTube, and it's tremendously inspiring. It's about 50 minutes long, and if you do anything creative, it will inspire you enormously. <clears throat> anyway. He's inspirational anyway to me. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many, even in concerts, I've got so many bootlegs of Bruce, you know, yeah. and the talking in between songs is just as important. You know, right. that's how I learned about um, the first time I heard him talking about Ron Kovic and Born on the Fourth of July. I heard uh -huh. him talking about that book. I went and got the book yeah. and yeah. loved it. That was before yeah. they made the movie. You know, so and anyway, I was like, he, he, yeah. just be So he's, he's coming to town to give the keynote. And everybody knows he's going to play somewhere in town. And it's a big huge secret this was 10 years ago this spring wow. and uh 
And uh, you had to have a platinum badge. That is a badge for all four South by Southwest festivals. And you had to enter a lottery to win tickets to see Bruce Springsteen play somewhere, some night. <laughs> I didn't have a badge that year. I was not a credentialed journalist that year. Yeah, but I had, uh, I had some friends in Steve Earle's band. Uh, the Mastersons and they were playing the terrace at the Moody theater where they tape ACL. Now <clears throat> they were playing a bloody Mary's and uh breakfast tacos thing in the morning on the terrace outside. And we went to see, uh, we went to see uh, Eleanor and uh, my friend Chris play outside and every door to the theater said closed all day for rehearsal and some guy was wearing a security shirt and i said dude who's rehearsing in there all day and he's like yeah it's springsteen I'm like fuck <laughs> i spent the whole i spent the whole rest of the day looking for a piece of rope and a pipe to hang myself from <laughs> wow yeah yeah so uh okay wait we well, i'm not done Oh, I'm not oh, 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 there's more. He, he said it was a long story. He said it was a long story. He said for us to shut the fuck up, yeah, so yeah, shut yeah, up. Not, yeah. Billy especially needs to shut the fuck up. Okay, Stop. go, man. I'm, get moving. Get moving. So, uh, we do we're have going to finish today sometime. Going from place to place, day to day, and we always land back at the Ginger Man because they always had free shows, and I had a pass to get into the Ginger Man. And right across the street from the Ginger Man is the Moody Theater. And I looked across and I saw this line of like 10 people leading into the Moody where I knew Bruce Springsteen was playing or about to be playing. So I was like, we got to go over there and check it out. We get in this very, very short line of no more than 10 people. And we get behind this guy and he's like, yeah, it's Springsteen. He's on. But it's south by southwest my friend's inside already he says he's already on and south by southwest so they're only going to play for 45 minutes not 60 seconds later as god is my witness not 60 seconds later they open the right rope line and let us in and i saw bruce springsteen for free for three and a half hours Boom. oh wow wow yeah that that, that yeah that's like one of those stuff uh success stories here and your story yeah. was almost as long as this concert uh that that's uh one two three four um we haven't yeah, heard yeah. yet what gems is second second favorite uh yeah so uh, it's hard for me to do f two favorites and everything. So I'm just going to tell you one that I really enjoyed, and I'm going to get away from all the massive mainstream corporate rock that y'all are talking about, <laughs> and go with uh, go Trouble go with Boys. go with something. Well, tr well, Trouble Boys was a great the, book. That's the Michael Buffalo Smith story. And, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, but there's book. a there's a there's a there's a genre of books, and there's there's been a bunch of them in the last few years where. That are that are autobiographies of of guys in bands and girls in bands that didn't quite make it, that yeah. tried and didn't quite make it. And one of the ones that I really like is this is this is this book called Hitless Wonder, by a guy named Joe Osterreich who was in a band out of Columbus, Ohio called Watershed, uh, and they 
they were, you know, one of these touring bands that was always trying to get a deal and could never get a deal. And he writes about all this and he's, you know, it helps that he's an excellent writer. And I think he actually is an English professor now, right. uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's just really, really, you know, he, he clearly loved what he was doing and he was, but he just kept running up against obstacles in the industry that just would not let them get to where they were trying to go and you know part of it probably what was because they weren't you know they weren't world beating great uh, band they were a fine band but there was nothing you know just just killer about them and, but and he realized that and it's just a great book it's it's a book about the life that a lot of musicians lead that that isn't keith richards or bruce springsteen well and you said a lot i would say most right exactly and and so that book i i just really enjoyed that book is it the second best you know is it better than trouble boys which is the 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 replacements book no is it better than warren zane's biography of tom petty which i think is quite quite uh, good no really good it, it's not it's not as good as either of those but it's the kind of thing where you know it 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 shed some light on on lives that uh, a lot of people don't know about and it's less than glamorous so anyway wanted to plug that one thing i wanted to throw yeah. out jim was um i i want to prove to you that i listened to you because after the last show <laughs> first of all we never did address the fact the elephant in the room which is me that i uh, <laughs> we didn't do a show last week because i was in the hospital for a whole Ooh. week and right. in very, very, very and bad and shape. Even offer to share his medication. But <laughs> but so happy to be back amongst the living and back on the airwaves, tap dancing. While I was in the hospital, I was reading my book that I ordered because of Jim. Oh yeah, I ordered the Dwight Yoakam book. Yeah. Oh, Don McLeese's book. Yeah, yeah. And book. I'm terrific. telling you what, I am so enjoying that. And I spoke to uh, Billy Bob the other day, and I told him, I said, I'm reading the Dwight Yoakam book. And he goes, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, because they're friends. And he's mm -hmm. all about that. But there's so much. There's a lot to Dwight Yoakam, man. A lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He run, his, yeah. his well runs deep. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize just how, I mean, you talked, you and Billy had talked more about it than I knew, knew about as far as the playing punk clubs back in when mm -hmm. he started out it's crazy you know, they, 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 uh, he played with the blasters oh yeah oh my god i love the blasters god yeah yeah, yeah. like i said the on that first farm aid they the blasters blew me away and then um brian Setzer uh that day uh playing radiation ranch and all that stuff just kicking it man we just had a ball. We drank so much beer that day watching Farm Aid. Man, it was crazy. Bunch of crazy college guys just going nuts. And I remember they had, uh, later that evening, they had the first time of Andy Van Halen playing with Sammy Hagar. And the two of them just came out to play together. And they were just rocking on Zeppelin's rock and roll, you know, and just kicking it, man. And all Did that. They play and, Train Kept a Roll? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. No, they didn't play that. I don't think they knew how. They were going to ask Joey Ramone how to play it. Marky, Marky Mark Ramone. But anyway, they, uh, they, uh, 
Okay, see, now you threw me off when you did that. Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Anyway, that's the rest Move of the story. Move ahead. I can't remember now. Doggone it. See, my brain, it just cuts completely out. Oh, I was thinking about Farm Aid. And I was thinking about uh, Van Halen and Sammy rocking right. it out. And Sammy was reading the signs people were holding up in the audience. And he was one of them, Red Rocker Rocks, yeah, suck my cock. And so he, so he, he, said, he says that, and all of a sudden they cut over to Brenda Lee, who was hosting the thing. Country, country Brenda music's Lee. Brenda, Brenda Lee, Lee, who looked like a deer caught in the headlights. And she's like, I'm sorry, folks. There seems to be some sort of a problem. Well, they never went back to it, to Eddie and Sammy, and my friend Alan, who was a redhead, was just lost his temper. He was so mad. He was he was what we call pig biting mad. He was pig so mad that they were cutting out um, Sammy and Eddie because Sammy had dared to say the word cock. On you know, live national television. <laughs> that was nothing compared to what he normally says. Right. But we uh we were blown, that whole farm aid that just whole thing blew me away because one, it was just one great thing after another. Sometime in the future, I want to do a show and talk about farm aids and volunteer jams and all. Sometime in the future, I want to do a show with all you guys and talk about experiences at South by Southwest because I know we've got <laughs> yeah good luck with, we've got good luck with that uh, oh God, so, <laughs> I've got some. I've got some. You know, I, you know I, I, uh, I covered uh, Farm Aid for Entertainment Weekly. That was the one wow. time I think I saw Towns Van Zandt. Wow. Boy, what a great yeah. guy. He, I mean, great talent. What a, I love what that a, guy. What a drunk guy he was. What a drunk <laughs> guy, but what, what a drunk guy, but what a great writer. Good yeah, guy. Yeah, he could write. Mm -hmm. he, yeah. Yeah, well, I tell you what, we are, uh, we're, uh, I know we're not on a schedule or anything, but, we but are our time. listeners are on a schedule, and yeah. our our hour show has already gone an hour and thirty minutes. Yeah. But that's because we're having fun, and I'm pretending I'm watching the Brady Bunch with this. Oh uh, yeah, with the with the screen. <laughs> Can yeah. I say one more thing about Bruce? No, hell no. Yeah. Yeah, Shut go, the yeah, hell ahead, up. Yeah. I am. <laughs> go ahead, man. Go ahead. Just kidding. Uh, the one thing, the one, the main takeaway from uh, Springsteen's autobiography, which is, I, it's, it's like 450 pages. It's a big one. Like and I inhaled it in like a day and a half. But the main thing I took away is he's Irish and Italian. His dad was Irish. His mom is Italian. He's got some depression on the Irish side of the family and he suffers from depression. And the reason he plays these long ass shows is not to satisfy the crowds it's to wear his ass out so he can sleep yeah i read that yeah it's amazing that's to know a, that though that's an interesting little twist man. yeah i wouldn't yeah. I, I would not have yeah i would not have guessed that it's not for you it's for him right. well this is a this is very this okay this is not maybe as long as one of your stories it's a little bit shorter, <laughs> a little bit shorter, 
But there was a time when I was going, one of my stories. There was a time when I was going to Huntsville, Alabama quite a bit because I ended up recording two albums down there. And we were doing a CD release party at the Space and Rocket Center Marriott Hotel. And I was down there with my wife and looked over to bar and I said, that looks like Bruce Springsteen at the bar drinking a beer with a ball cap on. And she goes, yeah, I'm sure it's Bruce Springsteen in the afternoon. I got one, I got, I got one after you're done. No, and, uh, no man. It no, never, no, no, we're the, wrapping the up. Amuse, the amusement never ends. Yeah, no, the, it, the, uh, it's going to end. No, it's never ending. So anyway, um, Bruce, I mean, the guy, looked like Bruce. Uh, she goes, sure, it's Bruce Springsteen in Huntsville, Alabama on a Saturday afternoon. I said, no, it is. I'm going to go over and speak to him. She's like, Michael, don't you dare bother that man. She said, don't. And I was like, well, I'm going to go mention to him. We're having a CD release party tonight. Maybe if he's here, he'd come jam with us. Cause, yeah. you know, <laughs> Hell I yeah. I'm never, never shy about asking. Never, never. And we already had, you know, we were going to have at the party, Bonnie Bramlett and uh, Pete Carr and all these people. So I figured I could say, oh, Bonnie Bramlett's going to be there. And you so, so anyway, uh, anyway, my wife wouldn't let me speak to him. Come to find out it was Bruce Springsteen. They were there filming this, these NASA things. And the guy sitting beside him was Ted Nugent with his hair all up under a hat and he was there he was there filming a spot i could have got ted nugent and springsteen to play my cd release party had it not been for my wife no god rest her soul that would have been an interesting set it would yeah yeah because you know it's like i like to say uh it's kind of like i like to say Springsteen's my hero. Nugent scares the crap out of me. One of the biggest, yeah. longest interviews I ever had was Ted Nugent for Goldmine. Four hours. He's sitting on his porch. And, okay, and it, again, it never ends. But this is great. This is great. We're talking, and he says, Michael, he starts interviewing me. Where are you from? What kind of music do you listen to? What kind of cars do you like? What kind of guns do you own? I don't own any guns. Oh, man, you need some? I've got plenty. <laughs> here's, here's guns. I got some guns. I've got plenty. And he, he's like, he's like, uh, now listen, he said, while we're talking, and I've got all the time in the world, but while we're talking, if I have to step away from the phone a minute and sit it down, I want you to understand there's some wolves on my property. And they've been getting after my deer. And nobody kills my deer but me. But me, right. <laughs> and he said, if I see them after my deer, I'll say, hold on, and I'll be back. You may hear the sound of small arms fire. And uh, and and uh, sure enough, we're talking. And he goes, Michael, hold on. And I hear, blam, 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 blam. And he comes back and he goes, well, there's two uh, two coyotes that will never mess with my deer again. Except, and I would like to I would like to interject here, man. Coyotes nocturnal, so 
If he said he shot them in the middle of the day, well, whatever the hell they were, wolves. <laughs> well, that, he was he was lying. He no, he didn't that, he no. didn't see them in the middle of the day. That's yeah. that's not entirely true, Billy. No, I the they. Day. I mean, this was this this wasn't a lie because uh, I don't you know anyway. Anyway, anyway we got to wrap, guys. I don't like rap, man. I... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. You're right. Okay, well, I've got to... let me let me pull my script up, Billy. I'm glad you reminded me because I forgot where I was at. Um, yeah. 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 That, yeah, yeah, that yeah. script was helpful. Can you imagine what this would have been like without? <laughs> I haven't looked at it since we started. Uh, uh, we do want to uh, thank uh, our special guest, uh, Jim Hiphill. And Patrick Beach for joining uh, Billy and I. Thanks for having us. Yeah, well, yeah, that was fun. Man. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to tell everybody to make sure to still pick up the uh, latest issue of Kudzu Magazine, digital magazine, kudzumag.com, and uh, read all about the current stuff. We got another one we're working on. Uh, it's going to have some really cool stuff in it, too. Um, but I need to do this quickly, do this little commercial before I let you guys go. Uh, I, I don't want to no. call it a commercial, but without the sponsor, I would be uh, nothing. So um, I just want to say, Kudzu Radio Hour brought to you by the fun folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh organic chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information on or order online at SpringerMountain.com. SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, but it also tastes uh-uh good. Sure does. All right. Thanks, everybody. We're going to close you. out with a little bit of uh, we're actually going to play something by an artist named Steve Young. How many people here have heard of Steve Young? Right here. Yeah, All right. We're going to play one cut. A cut by Steve okay. called Rock Salt Salt Nails. And thanks, guys. And we'll see everybody next week. Same All bad right, time. Same All bad right, time. Thanks. thanks. We're All out. Right. Bye. By the banks of the river. Where the willows grow And the wild birds wobble The strange sound of soul By the banks of the And nothing ain't worth
going to wrap up another episode of the kudzu radio hour thank you for tuning in folks and if you would do me a favor pass the word along uh, any way you can through social media etc that the kudzu radio hour is alive and well and back on its feet again um, went away for a long time but we're really happy to be back on and we're on a new platform and we've got better sound and better control and uh, working on getting some guests on and all kinds of stuff. So uh, lots to look forward to. In the meantime, please take care of yourself. Uh, practice social distancing. Practice whatever you got to practice to take care of yourself and your family. Because that's what matters. Take care and we will see you here next week. Keep it real, folks. Keep it Southern. <laughs>